liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Just wanted to let you guys know I will not be putting my debate with Destiny on the audio version of this show. You will only be able to find it on all the video platforms, primarily because the audio was kind of low, so it's better if you can watch it on TV, to be honest. Uh, I thought it went really well, and I think you guys will enjoy it, and I also wanted to make sure that the algorithm got the biggest boost possible so that most people could see it. We've already had over 5,000 viewers on YouTube, so it looks like it's working. So that's the reason. I hope you guys enjoy it. Enjoy the rest of the show. Human Action Tour com if you want to pick up tickets monstre scott horton josie the redhead libertarian myself it's going to be a great event uh i had a great time in tennessee and i'm sure this one will be just as fun if not even better so do not miss it wanted to uh give my thoughts on the tucker carlson firing i know that everyone is doing so and you've probably feel as if you've heard enough but i have some interesting angles on it that i think you might find compelling um, first off what i discovered was uh, this is from at Amuse on Twitter. Tucker Carlson's prior $1.6 million per month contract, good for you, Tucker, has as much as 18 months remaining on it. Fox CEO Lachlan Murdoch and Carlson were in the middle of negotiating an extension through 2029 when the Murdochs decided to bench him instead. They don't want Tucker going anywhere, and they're going to force him to sit on the bench for months as they recover from his departure. I think that that's a really interesting angle on this. His contract was signed in February of 2021, running through February 24 or 25. Uh, they're not sure. The desk is reporting 24. As a result, Tucker will be benched through much of the presidential election, and speculation is that this was done very much on purpose. I don't know if, I mean, obviously it takes some reading of the tea leaves to, to assume motive here, but I think it's an interesting thought experiment, at least to explore, that given that Tucker is, in my estimation, undoubtedly the most trusted name in news at this point, uh, he's famously known for having not just the top nightly news show, but also being watched by more Democrats than any other commentator. Uh, I think that that is a, a paradigm that they could not allow to stand, and I don't blame them. <laughs> Like, I know libertarians have a, a plenty of issues with Tucker Carlson because he takes, in my estimation, an overly hawkish stance towards China. And uh, but uh, on the inverse of that, he's been phenomenal on the war uh, against Russia. And I think that for that uh, for that reason alone, you know, I view him as, if not an ally, certainly uh, not an enemy in that regard. If if we were right on the cusp of war with China and he was going all in on supporting that, I would probably, or undoubtedly, I would change my opinion on him, but that's not the case right now. So uh, I'm going to take the victories where we can find them. Uh, you know, it's an interesting analysis here too, because Don Lemon was also fired on the same day. <clears throat> and while I did joke, I did quip that it's hilarious that even in his firing, he was still outshined in the ratings by Tucker Carlson. Uh, but I am actually not happy to see Tucker Carlson, or excuse me, uh, I'm not happy to see Don Lemon go. I think that this is the 
the interesting dynamic. A lot of people were pointing out, well, when the left sees Tucker Carlson fired, they celebrate. When the right sees Don Lemon fired, they celebrate. I don't I don't celebrate his firing. I, I actually I like it when the mouthpieces for the opposition are horrifically bad at what they do. I don't think that Don Lemon was a danger to anybody. I think that he was an asset to to people that are interested in the truth because he was such a bad propagandist. The inverse is actually the case with Tucker, where even if you believe he's a propagandist, he was irrefutably very good at what he did. And I am devastated to see both of them go, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. And I think that this is an, also an interesting point that really... I mean, you have AOC who, first off, very oddly called for Tucker's deplatforming 24 hours before he was fired. And then that next day, maybe even that evening after he was fired, she put out another video where she says deplatforming works. And this is important work. And, you know, I, I have already said before that, you know, I, I think that really the the cultural tie that binds me to other people regardless of political ideology is one of do you believe that your opposition should be suppressed and should their speech be curtailed in any form or fashion and if you feel that free speech is of the highest priority then you're to some extent my ally and if you are in opposition to free speech no matter how awful you find it to be, well, then you're, you're my enemy. I, I apply this same rule to uh, people on, or, or excuse me, uh, to social media platforms. If you oppose people being able to speak their minds, regardless of accuracy of truth, mind you, I don't care if they're telling the truth. I want you to be able to speak it. Allow me to decide what's true. And I think that most people, at least historically in America, particularly, felt the same way. And there's a disturbing trend where more and more people, particularly on the left, but certainly some on the right as well, want to see their enemies crushed. What has become of us? It's scary. It's scary to think that you know we have sitting Congress people, Congresswoman, whatever, congressmen, that are celebrating the quote-unquote deplatforming, that was her words, not mine, of the number one newscaster, you know, even if it's an opinion newscaster, he's still, he's a news guy. Uh, very, very, it's just chilling, honestly. And I don't think people take it seriously, seriously enough that we have politicians that ultimately have immense power when it comes to writing regulations, laws, doling out money into the censorship apparatus, et cetera, that are, openly, publicly, proudly calling for their opposition to be silenced. And this is not a trend that is entirely new, but it has gotten to a fevered pitch where people don't seem to be uh, holding back anymore. You know, if you're a pundit, I don't much care. But if you are a politician that has the power of the state behind you, well, my friends, that used to be considered a 1A violation. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Constitution doesn't seem to matter very much these days, but to me, it doesn't change the principle. 
whether you can actually hold them up on a 1A violation or not, it is clearly un-American. And let's show you the, the celebration, the exaltation <laughs> of one, uh, what's his name? Michael Rappaport, goodness gracious. This is, this is the hysterical reaction to Tucker Carlson's firing. Oh my goodness gracious. The day was already good enough with the Knicks being up three to one. And now this, Tucker Carlson, you're out, you're fired. A, a, a once great former reality TV star used to love saying, you're fired. Well, you fuck you, you are fired. 787 reasons why you got to go. Tucker Carlson, you giggling, cackling fool. You cackling, giggling fuck you. Bye-bye. Last week, it was Don Bongino. And now this. I don't know how much more can one person take. It's so good. It's oh so good, Tucker Carlson. You fucking bozo-ass subliminal bullshit artist you're a fucking bullshit artist you oh my god it's just so good setting aside how utterly deranged michael rapaport has become uh i think it's it's <laughs> he's so crazy it, it's interesting um the reaction the reaction is really it's profound and, and granted some of it's performative but i don't take i don't view don lemon or rachel maddow or any of these people as being a danger to me like what i i view them almost the exact same way rapaport views tucker i view them as bozos and propagandists and liars but i don't view them as a threat because i don't believe they're telling the truth i think that the interesting part about the animus towards Tucker is that there is a concern that he's telling the truth because I don't think that you would react in such a gleeful fashion to see your enemy silenced. If you thought he was just lying, right? Like I don't like Rachel Maddow. I don't love the fact that she propagandizes the American people, but I also don't really care because she's not telling the truth. Now, if the truth helps, me then i want to hear it and i feel you know even with all of his pitfalls tucker tells more truth than anyone on the news and that is largely why he was so successful and i think that is largely why the left is celebrating his departure now let me spoil the party for you tucker carlson when he gets out of his contract and he will get out of his contract eventually and i hope soon his, by the way, he has hired Megan Kelly's attorney, who got her that enormous settlement after her parting from Fox. She, he has hired her attorney to try and exit his contract, which obviously they're going to try and sideline him through the election if they can. But I think he'll probably find his way out. At least I hope so. And when he does, that man is going to absolutely explode in popularity. And I, it's what's what's fascinating about the left, and this is not a you know, it's common unfortunately, but they have a very 
high time preference. They don't, they can't envision two or three steps ahead. It's so clear that Tucker Carlson is going to be a juggernaut wherever he goes, whatever he does next. So while you can celebrate that he's off of Fox News, ladies and gentlemen, nightly news is dying. Cable news is dying. Conventional news is dying. You have now just elevated him into the persecuted category of the most successful last truth teller on TV. You think he's not going to have the biggest podcast or the biggest independent platform or the biggest contract in Rumble's history or the biggest whatever? I mean, he has a legitimate shot at, at doing the same numbers or better as Joe Rogan does. We're talking 10 to 15 million per show, probably higher given that it's Tucker Carlson and now he's, you know, persona non grata. Uh, I just think that you guys are wrong about this. I think that your celebration is very premature and ultimately it is not going to be to your benefit long-term. Now, I think it is sad that some of the more boomer audience that will not follow Tucker from his departure from Fox News, well, they may be slipping back into blue pilled land where they don't get any truth because now they have, you know, Sean Hannity or whatever. But I think for the vast majority of people, particularly the young population that is interested in truth, well, they're going to continue to follow Tucker. And guess what? When he's not on cable news and he can actually speak his mind, well, you're going to hear some real shit at that point. And speaking of real shit, let's, uh, Let's hear a speech from Tucker, because I thought that this was really powerful. It, it might be time to start to reassess the terms we use to, to describe what we're watching. So when I started at Heritage, the presumption was, and this is a very Anglo-American assumption, that the debates we're having are kind of rational debates about the way to get to mutually agreed upon outcomes. Right? So like, we all want the country to be more prosperous and free and people to be less oppressed or whatever. And so we're going to argue about tax rates. And I think higher tax gets, gets us there. I'm a Keynesian and you disagree or an Austrian or whatever, but the objective is the same. And so we write our papers and they write their papers and made the Let me pause it for a split second. How many nightly newsmen even know Keynesianism versus Austrian economics, that there is two camps. <laughs> I'd argue none of them know that. And if they do know it, they certainly couldn't describe to you what Austrian economics entails. For that alone, I have to put him in the non-enemy camp. The best papers win. I, I, I don't think that's what we're watching now at all. I don't think we're watching a debate over how to get to the best outcome. I think that's completely wrong. And I've come to this conclusion, not, and I should say at the outset, I'm an Episcopalian, so don't take any theological advice from me because I don't have any. I grew up in the shallowest faith tradition that's ever been invented. It's not even a Christian religion at this point. Um, I say with shame. But I'm just saying this as an observer of what's going on. There is no way to assess, say, the transgenderist movement with that mindset. Policy papers don't account for it at all. If you have people who are saying, I have an idea, let's castrate the next generation. Let's sexually mutilate children. I'm sorry, that's not a political debate. What? What does that have to do with politics? What's the outcome we're desiring here? An androgynous population? Is that really what we are? We arguing for that? I don't, I don't think anyone could like, defend that as a positive outcome. But the weight of the government 
and uh, you know, a lot of corporate interests are behind that. Well, what is that? Well, it's irrational. If you say, well, you know, I think abortion is always bad. Well, I think sometimes it's necessary. That's a debate I'm familiar with. But if you're telling me that abortion is a positive good, what are you saying? Well, you're arguing for child sacrifice, obviously. It's not about like, oh, a teen, you know, a teen girl gets pregnant and what do we do about that? And victims of rape, I, you know, I get it. I, of course I understand that. And I have compassion for everyone involved. But when the treasury secretary stands up and says, you know what you can do to help the economy get an abortion? Well, you're, that's like an Aztec principle, actually. There's not a society in history that didn't practice human sacrifice. Not one. I checked. Even the Scandinavians, I'm ashamed to say. It wasn't just the Mesoamericans. It was everybody. So like, that's what that is. Well, what's the point of child sacrifice? Well, there's no policy goal entwined with that. No, that's a theological phenomenon. And that's kind of the point I'm making. None of this makes sense in conventional political terms. When people or crowds of people, or the largest crowd of people at all, which is the federal government, the largest human organization in human history, decide that the goal is to destroy things, destruction for its own sake, hey, let's tear it down. What you're watching is not a political movement, it's evil. So if you want to assess, and I'll put it in non, and I'll stop with this, I'll put it in non, I'll put it in non-political, uh, or non, rather non-specific theological terms, and just say, if you want to know what's evil and what's good, what are the characteristics of those? And by the way, you know, I, I think the Athenians would have agreed with this. This is not necessarily just a Christian notion. This is kind of a, what would say, widely agreed upon understanding of good and evil. What are its products? What do these two conditions produce? Well, I mean, Good is characterized by order, calmness, tranquility, peace, whatever you want to call it, lack of conflict, cleanliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's true. It is. And evil is characterized by their opposites. Violence, hate, disorder, division, disorganization, and filth. So if you are all in on the things that produce the latter basket of outcomes, what you're really advocating for is evil. That's just true. I'm not calling for religious war, far from it. I'm merely calling for an acknowledgement of what we're watching, which is not what, and I'm not certainly not backing the Republican party. I mean, ugh. I'm not making a partisan point at all. I'm, I'm just noting what's super obvious. Like those of us who are in our mid fifties are caught in the past in the way that we think about this. One side's like, no, no, you know, I've got this idea and we've got this idea and let's have a debate about our ideas. They don't want a debate. Those ideas won't produce outcomes that any rational person would want under any circumstances. Those are manifestations of some larger force acting upon us. It's just so obvious. It's completely obvious. And I think two things. One, we should say that and stop engaging in these totally fraudulent debates where we are using the terms that we used in 1991 when I started at Heritage as if maybe, you know, I could just win the debate if I marshaled more facts. I've tried that, doesn't work. 
And two, maybe we should all take just like 10 minutes a day to say a prayer about it. Don't agree with every word of that. Uh, there's a lot of truth there. And I think that there's two points I wanted to make. First off, it does seem that we are in a post-fact, kind of post-argumentation world where people are not so interested in hearing the other side's opinion and weighing it against their own, but rather does this in any way suit their existing preconceived notions or is it emotionally compelling enough to actually wake people up? And I think that that has been the downfall of libertarians for the longest time is that we don't reach people on the emotional level, which is why I'm such a huge fan of someone like Alex Jones, whereas many of the more boring libertarians, yes, I'm calling you out, they don't like Alex. They think that he's too bomb, too bombastic. Has has anyone, uh, sincere question, has anyone woken up more people to the uh, malevolent influence of the military-industrial complex aside from Alex Jones? You could argue Ron Paul, and he's very statesmanlike. I'm not saying that this is a one-size-fits-all type of fix or solution, but in terms of a tool to actually wake more people up, Alex has been phenomenally successful. And I think that that's where we're at. If you're going to reach people, it has to be it has to be from a place of passion and sincerity and I don't know, almost spiritual. Almost. Not necessarily, but almost there. Like right it uh it rhymes. It's very it's very close to to being kind of a a spiritual revivalism that Alex Jones espouses when he talks. And I've tried to, or I don't know if I've tried, but I, I, I share some of that. And I think that it's, it's to our benefit to realize that if people are incapable of hearing facts that libertarians have been arguing for a very long time, and they can't ever seem to process them, well, then you have to reach them on a different wavelength. And to me, that's kind of what Tucker's describing. And I think that also there is a very uh, kind of a, once again, a revivalist religious fervor that's coming with the dissident right that I think you would be remiss to dismiss it. It is, it's real, it's powerful. And if they're going to turn towards God, which I don't have a problem with them doing, you should be asking yourselves why. First off, to see if they're right. But second off, to see how you might be able to benefit in your desires by utilizing that energy. And I think that people are looking for purpose. And I think that they're looking for answers. Those are good things. Don't dismiss that. Don't write them off. Especially if they are turning away from the state. If they're turning away from the media propagandists and they're starting to try and seek truth on their own terms. That's all to the benefit of the liberty movement more broadly. I want to tap into that as best we can because this is a, the early stages of a trend that I think is going to pick up steam actually. And if you're just going to shout at them about time value of money or whatever, <laughs> you're probably not going to be playing in that arena very much. I mean, even Donald Trump's success was one of less factual and more passion, humor, 
bombast, ego, you know, things that libertarians don't do very well. So I'm encouraging you guys to, whether or not you can actually adopt those methodologies, at least be privy to what we're witnessing. That's clear. There's clearly a market demand. I'll put it in economics terms for you guys so you can process it. There is a market demand for exactly what the Tucker Carlson's and the Donald Trump's of the world are able to deliver. Right? It's just true. He was doing 6 million nightly viewers. You can't dismiss his success. You cannot. He was doing like 50x what CNN nightly was doing. That's meaningful. That's a meaningful difference. And while he's one, a good speaker, he does it with humor. He was also in pursuit of truth more often than not. And we're great at that. So I want to make sure that we're on the forefront of it, that we don't get replaced in this truth movement. Right? I mean, do you want them to conclude the solutions that we have on offer? Of course you do. So make sure that you don't lose these people by speaking to them in, in a way that's not compelling. Just a thought. Demonstrate what a state enemy Tucker Carlson was. This is from Politico, titled, Good Riddance. Pentagon officials cheer Tucker Carlson's ouster. <laughs> From maternity fight or from maternity flight suits to diversity policies to Ukraine aid, the military was a favorite punching bag for Tucker Carlson. Now that he's off the air, some Pentagon officials are quietly cheering his departure. Carlson's criticism of Biden era personnel policies appealed to many of the rank and file, which has a large block of conservative members. But at the upper levels of the Defense Department, news of Carlson's firing from Fox News on Monday was met with delight and outright glee in some corners. We're a better country without him bragging on our military every night in front of hundreds of thousands of people, said one DOD, uh, said one senior DOD official, who, like others interviewed for the story, was granted anonymity to discuss a politically sensitive topic. Good riddance, said a second DOD official. Asked to respond to the news that DOD officials are pleased by his departure from Fox, Carlson responded by text message, ha, I'm sure. He declined to comment further. The tension between the former cable hosts and Pentagon leadership isn't new. Carlson drew the ire of top DOD officials early in the Biden administration for personal attacks on a number of military leaders, as well as ridiculing the armed forces' efforts to increase diversity. A slew of conservative leaders quickly followed Carlson's lead, giving rise to a small but vocal minority that to this day continues to hammer DOD officials, saying they're focusing on personnel policies at the expense of preparing for war. The Pentagon says only a small percentage of troops' time spent is spent on diversity training. Most memorably, Carlson's remarks disparaging female service members in March 2021 prompted a rare rebuke from then-Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby. After President Joe Biden announced new efforts to recruit and keep women in the service, including designing new body armor, updating requirements for hairstyles, and the nomination of two female generals to become combatant commanders, at a White House ceremony, Carlson accused the commander-in-chief of making a mockery of the troops. So we've got new hairstyles and maternity flight suits. Pregnant women are going to fight our wars. It's a mockery of the U.S. military, he said. In response, Kirby took a rare swipe at the Fox host. Quote, what we absolutely won't do is take personnel advice from a talk show host or the Chinese military. Yeesh. All right. It continues like that. Look, I don't believe for a second that they actually were concerned with his critiques of the wokeness in their military. I think that they were far more concerned about the fact that he was questioning the narrative in the U Ukraine and Russia war. That's my 
sincere opinion as to why he was actually reviled by the DOD. Right? What is their actual goal here? It's not so much PR as it is, can we get away with this? Can we can we continue to get away with constant militarism for all of Clint's life? <laughs> because they've done a pretty good job of it. And just to show you uh, once again that, you know, well, I, I personally believe that Tucker Carlson was pretty damn good. Fox News is not. And I think Fox News is dead. D-O-A. Dead in the water. And just to show you how sick the operation was over at Fox, this is an absolutely crazy interview that was done a few days ago. This is a former Tucker Carlson producer, Abby Grossberg. Bef they flat out said, we expected you to be best friends with Maria. And we were very close. But by that point, we were referring to Maria Bartiromo, I believe, disagreeing on the integrity of the election um, and what had taken place in 2022 and some other theories that she had. And there was definitely tension. Um, and there are records of that. And there are records of all of that. Uh, I had been asked to spy on her by the Fox bosses and report back on what she was doing, which what? caused a lot of stress. And that was part of the reason I went to Tucker as well. I just physically and emotionally couldn't take it. And when I go back and listen to some of those tapes now that I have, I hear the stress in my voice and how depleted I was. And so you spied on Maria for your Fox bosses? Yes. Um, I not spied. I would tell them what she was doing. If there were things that concerned me, spy is the wrong word, that I had handled in the past myself because we had a good relationship and can work it out together. I reported those things because I became very paranoid about my job because I had been shaken down by multiple executives at the company that I had to cooperate. So that was part of the reason I went to Tucker as well. So I started- Like a bigger star, a bigger, safer sort of harbor at the mothership kind I of? wouldn't say bigger star. I felt like maybe they would protect me. That was definitely part of it, mm -hmm. that I wasn't protected where I was. Also being mindful of the fact that she was named in the Dominion suit. Mm -hmm. So that was something on my mind too, that maybe if I can get away before that happens, I'll be protected. Does that sound like a, uh, a healthy corporate environment? Sure doesn't sound very healthy to me. Um, there was another. There was also reporting that there has been a basically oppo research that has been ran on Tucker Carlson and all of the higher profile employees over at Fox News, where they basically build a you know shit list of items that they can drag any of their former employees if they part ways on bad terms and allegedly. The terms of parting between Tucker and Fox were about as toxic and as unhealthy as you can possibly imagine. So if you see any leaks of negative information about Tucker Carlson over the next six months, I would suspect that's exactly what's transpired. And they did the same thing with Megyn Kelly. They've done it with other people after their parting. And I think that this, to me... I'm sorry if you're a Fox News fan, but this really puts the nail in the coffin of them being anything other than controlled opposition. Fox News, like umbrella speaking. It's it's sad. You know, it, it once again what it what it shows me is that there is really no room for sincere dissident thought that persists for any extended period of time on any 
cable or nightly news uh, program. And I think that Tucker Carlson, given his extraordinary success being by far the number one nightly news guy and the fact that they would still part ways with him demonstrates exactly that, that this is not about ratings. And I've, I've been trying to make this point to you guys for quite some time now, but it's really about advertiser revenue. And the advertiser revenue is tied to ESG. And there's a, uh, a, a new scoring mechanism that I wanted to mention to you guys. It's called the CEI system. This is from the New York Post, which isn't great, but regardless, the story is valuable. It says executives at companies like Nike, Anheuser-Busch, and Kate Spade, whose brand endorsements have turned controversial trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney into today's woke it girl, aren't just virtue signaling. They're handing out lucrative deals to what were once considered fringe celebrities because they have to, or risk failing an all-important social credit score that could make or break their business. At stake is their corporate equality index. So CEI, we have DEI, we have CEI, we have ESG, we have SEL. Yes, I'm sorry to add another three-letter acronym to your lexicon, but it's important we understand the system that we're functioning under. So Corporate Equality Index Score, which is overseen by the Human Rights Campaign, the largest LGBTQ plus political lobbying group in the world. HRC, which has received millions from George Soros Open Society Foundation, among others, Issues report cards for America's biggest corporations via the CEI, Corporate Equality Index, awarding or subtracting points for how well companies adhere to what HRC calls its rating criteria. Businesses that attain the maximum 100 total points earn the coveted title Best Place to Work for LGBTQ Equality. 15 of the top 20 Fortune-ranked companies receive 100% ratings last year, according to HRC data. So when you tie... The HR, or excuse me, not HRC. When you tie the CEI index into DEI and then you tie that into ESG, well, then you have the funding mechanism by which this is really supported. So the fact that Tucker Carlson was doing the, the by far the best in ratings is really irrelevant because they struggled to get advertisers for his show. I don't know if you've noticed it, but if you've ever watched it, which I didn't watch it all the time, but I did watch it enough to know. The vast majority of his advertisements were like my pillow, <laughs> like they were really down to the bottom of the barrel. No, no disrespect to the my pillow guy, but they couldn't get most corporate advertisers. And the fact that you know Tucker set his sights just last week with uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. on Big Pharma, saying that these companies, he's like, I'm sorry if it insults our advertisers. Well. You know, despite the fact that Pfizer, et cetera, were not advertising during the Tucker Carlson time, sl time slot, Fox News wants that money, folks. And because that's how this all functions, you, you essentially have to acquiesce. And yes, even firing the most successful guy on TV news may sometimes look like a beneficial decision, as crazy as that sounds. You add to that the vital, you know, positive relationship that's necessary today. It shouldn't be this way. It should be the complete inverse of this, but it's the reality. In order to be successful in politics, you have to have access. Excuse me, in news, you have to have access. And if you don't have a good working relationship with the government, well, then you don't have access. And that's how many of these news agencies, quite to the detriment of their audiences, view this stuff. They say, I want to be able to have conversations with the president. I mean, look at the guy that was kicked out of the press room 
for the the daily press conferences. I forget his name. He's that African reporter. But you know, if you ask tough questions, you're not welcome. You don't get called upon, and ultimately, you just languish in irrelevancy. And that's the same kind of treatment that I think was being threatened, if not implemented, against Fox News more broadly because of Tucker Carlson's impact. So, from their vantage point, they want to both get ESG funding, but they also want to have a good relationship with the government, not to mention they're regulated by the government. I mean, there's there's so many different angles by which the government is actually involved in quote unquote news that is very nefarious and undermines the legitimacy of the entire function of the media, which is one of disclosure and truth telling, allegedly. <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the I ideal of what being a newsman is to be, to be a journalist, to tell the truth. And let me just pivot briefly to how I think this will ultimately be to the benefit of people that are interested in truth is that now I saw this, a bunch of people were saying, you know, I'm, I'm either cutting the cord from cable, I'm canceling my YouTube uh, premium or whatever it's called. I'm, I'm canceling oh. I forget all the names, uh, all the different streaming services that allowed them to be able to watch Tucker Carlson. He really was like the last guy. I think in a long enough term period, that's to our benefit that, you know, once he's gone, okay, well, now it's all truth, all truth telling, all truth seeking is going to be found on programs like what I'm doing. You know, independent people that don't have any financial ties to the to the overlords that are just going to be like, this is what I think. I'm telling you the truth, at least as best as I can. And I think that Tucker Carlson being put in that position and having no one on TV that anyone trusts even remotely is probably good for us long-term. So I know I'm, you may feel as if I'm <clears throat> spinning this overly optimistically, but I, that's my genuine opinion. I think that this could be to our benefit. Now, I think that there's, let me, let me throw a black pill in there. I think that this means that there will be a big, big push to deplatform on social media, uh, particularly the streaming services, particularly the one I'm on right now, uh, from existence. Because the same advertisers that pressured Tucker Carlson into being fired or pressured Fox News into firing Tucker Carlson, those same advertisers have extraordinary leverage over the video streaming platforms, the internet-based ones. What do you think that means? Well, if the only if there's no truth to be found on the nightly news, well, there's going to be some truth still to be found on the internet, and they're going to try and expunge that as well. So stay tuned. I think that's what comes next, and I think it's going to get pretty fierce here soon. I wanted to remind you guys that I will be having on Vivek Ramaswamy next week. Don't miss it. It's going to be a phenomenal conversation. And if you want to be able to message and have me ask your questions of Vivek live on air, all you have to do is download the Converso app and text me at 555-175-8394. Converso is the most private messaging app I have ever found. No user or metadata, end-to-end -end encryption, no storages of messages on the server. They have an incredible feature where you can actually do screenshot protect, so no one on the other end can actually screenshot. Crazy, I don't even know how it works, but it's awesome. And then sensors off, which allows 
your phone to basically just kill the mic as well as the camera whenever you're not using it. Or even if you want it off permanently, you can do that too, I think. It's uh, it's really incredible. They also have self-destructing message where you can actually delete them and it, because the message is stored on your phone and the uh, person you sent to, that's the only place that it's stored. If you delete it, it deletes from both. It's like it's never even happened. And you can edit and unsend messages. It's It's phenomenal. It's a great app and it's free. Go right now. Android or Apple, just search Converso. That's C-O-N-V-E-R-S-O. And if you want to message me, just text me at 555-175-8394. And this is why I love internet journalists. We got Milk Bar TV who put together a great compilation reel of Justin Trudeau, head of Canada, trying to rewrite history misinformation and disinformation is carrying people to believe things that are untrue. This is a pivot between him today, or I think it was yesterday versus him over the past year or two when the COVID hysteria was cranking. So this, that's him now. Now they're going to go back in time. And vaccinations is a perfect example of it. Any vaccine we distribute to Canadians will be safe for Canadians. You know, are people who've probably gotten very sick from vaccinations. To every vaccine that is improved uh, is safe for Canadians, is uncompromising. Well, individuals are allowed to make their own choices. There may be all sorts of different reasons why someone is hesitant to get vaccinated. There's no more excuses to not get your shot. And therefore, while not forcing anyone to get vaccinated, enforcement measures in place will make sure that everyone is vaccinated. I chose to make sure that all the incentives, travelers across the country need to be fully vaccinated. People coming into the country need to be fully vaccinated. We're there. Don't get to work in the public service. Don't get to go to movie theaters or gyms or restaurants to encourage Canadians to get vaccinated. And that's exactly what they did. We got vaccinated to a higher level than just about any other of our peer countries. Unknown causes was the leading cause of death in Alberta. <laughs> I'll end it there. Uh, yeah, man, you're not gonna you're not gonna rewrite history. Not as long as the internet exists, which is why they would probably prefer that it doesn't. But boom, bitch, <laughs> you're busted. Like as if we don't already know that you behaved as a complete lunatic tyrant extraordinaire for three years. But you're definitely not gonna pivot now, Justin. We're not gonna let you off the hook, you fucking bitch. Excuse me. I get upset with this guy. I don't respect tyrants. He was one of the fucking worst. Him and Hacinda Ardern, which, by the way, just got a job at Harvard. You can be a tyrant and Harvard will embrace you because Harvard and the Ivy League is busy indoctrinating your children into becoming tyrants themselves. Pull them out. Forget the prestige. It's a Marxist indoctrination mill. All of them. All of the Ivy Leagues. They're terrible. These kids go through their torment to be accepted to these indoctrination camps, and they come out and they're fucking lunatics, and they're scumbags. And you spend $100,000 a year to send them there? What are you doing? Yes, you want them to be a power broker of a corrupt, immoral system? Why? Sorry, this was a tangent I didn't expect to go on. But it's true. What are you doing? Stop it. Stop sending your kids to these indoctrination centers so that they can come out and be fucking Marxist revolutionaries. 
because that's what they are. Yes, it's been reframed. It's been reframed into identitarianism as opposed to class struggle, but it's the same playbook. Doesn't take a rocket science to see a rocket scientist to see that they've simply transcribed the modern you know, cl class struggle into the old or from the old. It's so clear. I don't know why people struggle with like just extrapolating one step. Okay, yeah, it's not about the the impoverished or the you know bourgeoisie versus you know it's like this this, this is what this is. They're doing the same thing. It's divide and divide and conquer, and it's making us hate each other needlessly. I did a Twitter Spaces last night with uh, Josie the Redhead Libertarian, as well as the two FBI whistleblowers, and. I was really disturbed by this. Uh, first off, the conversation was great. It's over on Twitter if you want to check it out. But the contrary to the discussion, which was phenomenal, what I really found disturbing, we had at the end of it, we had a Q&A and there was as many you know people as you can imagine were chiming in. We had probably 25 people that uh, were allowed to you know get on there and ask questions of, uh, of Steve Friend. And it was like everyone just ask questions but the three people that chimed in that declared their race first before asking the question were three black men and they said they were both angry at the fbi whistleblowers one of them called him a, a snitch the other said why aren't you you know blowing the whistle about the fbi taking out civil rights leaders to which steve quite aptly responded i wasn't alive then <laughs> It was the 1960s. I was an FBI agent over the past decade. What are you talking about? Um, there's a real sickness with identitarianism, folks. Like you have guys that have sacrificed everything, their careers, their reputations, everything to become a whistleblower against the FBI, to speak out against the corruption that's happening right now. That's what they are doing actively. They're also working with Congress to try and either defund or completely abolish the FBI. Things that are to your benefit, even if you only view the corruption within the FBI as being an identitarian issue. Even if, even if these guys are still working on your behalf, they're your allies. But no, no, you don't trust them because they're not focusing on the, you know, theoretical potential murders of civil rights leaders 50 years ago. Come on. Can you not see what's happening? that you have people that are actually sacrificing themselves in real time to work on your behalf, to actually alleviate the problems you're facing, and you're obsessed with, well, as a black man. If you ever open a sentence with, well, as a white man, you've already fucking lost it. You've lost the plot. Don't view things like that. What are you doing? Why are we regressing into this tribalist identitarian nonsense that's based off our our melanin, our, you know, our skin color, our mutable character characteristics, the things that ultimately are not really relevant. Do you want the FBI to stop fucking with your community, quote unquote? Yeah, you probably do. You have two guys that are sitting here that have sacrificed everything to try and accomplish that. And you don't trust them. You view them as your enemy because they're white, because they don't focus on your you know, particularly narrow focus self-defeating and intentionally so they don't want you to be able to work with people that look different from you 
They want you to view yourself as a community based off of skin color. Drop it. Drop that entire worldview. It's the same thing as like, we have, we have class consciousness. Well, we have race consciousness. I don't have either of those things. I don't view things like that. It's not to your benefit. It's not to our benefit. If you're actually interested in being free, you have to free your mind too. <sighs> so disappointing. I'm serious. There was three black dudes that chimed in and all three of them led with as a black man. And all three of which were very upset with the guys who were actually trying to fix the issues that we face as a people. That's so crazy to me. Just goes to show how deep the, the psychological operations have, have gone and how much they've prevailed. Bums me out. Get you out of here on this. I know some of you guys are always asking me for updates on the, the real estate market. Uh, Zero Hedge had a good article out. Uh, not all of their articles are great, but this one was good. It's uh, Blackstone Breit, or B-R-E-I-T. It's, uh, it's just the B is the Blackstone, but it's a real estate investment trust. It says redemption requests surged to $4.5 billion, only $660 million uh, was granted. With the beginning of a credit event triggered by the Federal Reserve's aggressive rate height cycle, which has already claimed at least three smaller U.S. banks and initiated an unprecedented surge in deposit bank runs, the commercial real estate market might be the next shoe to drop. I've been saying this for a while, so this should not be news to you, but it gives you some facts as to why I'm concerned. For the fifth consecutive month, Blackstone's $71 billion real estate in, in, uh, sorry, income trust Breit, has restricted redemption withdrawal requests in March, according to Bloomberg, citing a letter from the PE firm. Last month, investment advisors of high net worth individuals asked Blackstone to redeem $4.5 billion from BREIT, but the PE firm only allowed $666 million to be withdrawn, or about 15% of what was requested. In February, advisors tried to pull out $3.9 billion. Blackstone limits withdrawals to approximately 5% per quarter. Having already reached 2% monthly caps in January and February, investors were left with a much narrow exit route in March. Just to clarify something real quick, there's nothing wrong with limiting withdrawals if it's disclosed up front, which in this case, undoubtedly it was. Uh, what you're essentially trying to do as a money manager is make sure that in the event of a panic, that you don't have to liquidate your portfolio or end up insolvent because people are panicked. And it's oftentimes to the, to the benefit of those that are willing to keep their money with you that you don't have to panic sell because if you panic sell, well, then you have to realize losses at the worst possible time. This is completely standard business practice. So I, I, I would not look askance at uh, Black or Blackstone for doing so. However, should rates keep rising, it is likely that the April redemption flood will continue. BREIT is a huge player in the real estate industry, acquiring properties from student housing to apartment complexes and warehouses. The trust was first hit with redemptions uh, limits last December. So basically for the entirety of this year so far, they have been at the limit. Uh, the letter also noted BREIT reserved the right to limit redemptions to prevent massive outflows. This structure was designed to both prevent a liquidity mismatch and maximize long-term shareholder value. So this is what I just explained to you. Uh, in fact, BREIT has paid out nearly $5 billion to redeeming shareholders since November 30th. 
A reason for the concern and stampede to the exit is the prospect of commercial real estate being the next area of turmoil following the regional banking crisis. Professional subs have been well aware of these rumblings in the in two latest pieces. Uh, since the Federal Reserve initiated its interest rate hiking cycle, U.S. office REITs have been battered. Yes, they have. And recall last month, Blackstone defaulted on a 531 million pound or euro, uh, 562 million U.S. dollar bond backed by a portfolio of offices and stores owned by Sponda Oi, a Finnish landlord it acquired in 2018. So the here's here's the long and the short of it. I'll, I'll just break it down to you in layman's terms. Um, I think you already understand most of that. But the, the reason that commercial real estate is in such jeopardy, one, when interest rates go up, obviously commercial real estate has to be rolled over from time to time, it, even if it's a 30-year mortgage. Usually, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have a, in terms of sales, if real estate, if the, if the interest rate is up, that means that the cost of acquiring uh, usually goes down, but the, the payments go up. So right now you haven't seen prices drop significantly. Um, there's a litany of reasons as to why, but setting that aside, I think that the, the fact that you're going to, because of the lockdowns, you had a massive issue with vacancies and, in some cities, it was 20 or 30%. I think it was LA I read was like 20 or 25, 30% vacancies in commercial real estate. And the reason is that these lunatic communist governors broke the entrepreneur. A multitude of reasons. One, the lockdowns obviously were very detrimental. But two, you have a bunch of blue state governors that are not enforcing property crime laws where they say, or property rights more broadly. You also had the issue of them. Well, first off, you have the shoplifters, which aren't being prosecuted. So you have a whole bunch of, uh, you know, retail businesses that are saying bye bye. Not interested in doing business in a city where the police won't assist me when I have people that are shoplifting, you know, viciously over and over again. Uh, New York, San Francisco, L.A. A bunch of them have this issue. But then also, you have the uh, generally unfriendly. Uh, you know, government view on these businesses. You then also had the lockdowns, which benefited the the largest, you know, competitors that exist. You have Walmart, Target, et cetera, that were allowed to stay open while all the mom and pops were shut down. That obviously absorbed much of their client base or their customer base because during the lockdowns, if you stop going to the smaller stores and you start to go to the bigger ones, well, you know, pe people are creatures of habit. So they'll just tend to continue to go to the big box store. Um, all of this was obviously highly avoidable, uh, but ultimately to the detriment of small business and capitalism, free actual free market capitalism, because none of this is free market capitalism. In fact, yesterday I had someone that tweeted at me, uh, don't blame every, you know, every problem in your country on you know, other ideologies when you can't even sell lemonade in America without being shut down. And I was like, He's, he's saying, don't, he's basically saying, this is a problem with capitalism. Hey, fucko, that ain't capitalism. When the state shuts down your capacity to exchange goods freely, you don't live in a capitalist system anymore. The fuck is wrong with you? Were the lockdowns a product of capitalism? No, they're a product of tyranny, totalitarianism, actually. The fuck? But people just constantly say, oh, capitalism, capitalism is pitfall. No, 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 motherfucker. Capitalism is just the free exchange of goods. That's it. Do I want this? Do you have this? Can we come to terms on it? Uh, yes. Okay. The state has nothing to fucking do with it. When the state has anything to do with it, that is a diminution of capitalism. Got it?
God, you guys fucking drive me crazy with this shit. You're so stupid. <laughs> Not you guys, but the people that uh, Marxists. Um, so, <laughs> anyways, there's just this uh, this terrible trend of ab abusing businesses, small businesses. So entrepreneurialism is drying up. You have people that are scared as all get out to start a business. You also have the fact that borrowing costs have skyrocketed as the Fed funds rate has gone from a quarter point up to 5% in a year. Well, if you if the Fed fund rate is ultimately the, the underlying factor by which most borrowing is, is predicated upon. So that means that now as an entrepreneur, if you want to borrow money to start a business, well, the cost just went up a lot. So are you going to do it now? Especially given that you're in California with a, a astronomical tax burden? Not to mention that real estate is still extraordinarily overpriced and rents are still crazy high. Do you think that you can actually succeed in that environment? No, you can't. So you have 20, 30% of these fucking commercial properties that are just sitting empty, dude. Empty. That's horrible. Commercial properties used to be like viewed as A-rated, never going anywhere. Then on top of that, you also have the, you know, conflating factor of the fact that the internet has replaced so much of the, you know, uh, broader economy. Like... Amazon, et cetera, all these smaller businesses were already getting their lunch eaten by um, the big internet behemoths. And then you lock down the economy, so that which benefits, once again, it benefits the biggest uh, internet businesses, which once again undermines the brick and mortar businesses, the small retail guys. So just like boom, 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 boom. It's like not a single knockout punch here, but you add them all up and it's like, well, yeah, of course the commercial real estate market is in trouble. And of course, you're not going to find tenants for much of this stuff. So, I don't know, man. I don't know how you. I don't know how you ex exit that. And then on top of that, there's all derivatives contracts and and leverage. You know, much of these these commercial real estate you know holdings are and, and the debt instruments that are you know uh, collateralized by those properties are held by pensions, which means that the pensions then are insolvent because they're expecting to have a return on that portfolio. But if the properties are empty, you're not making rent, which means that your real estate investment trust is trash, which means that you can't actually you know, liquidate or, or pay people out when they want to exit, which is exactly what you're seeing the beginning stages of. It's been happening for five months. I want to remind you guys, the 0809 crisis began in late 07. It really started to pick up steam in 08, and then it just fucking bottomed out no nine. That's exactly what I personally believe we are seeing in the commercial real estate market. I'm not specifically talking about residential because there's still a lot of demand for residential and there's not enough inventory. Commercial real estate is the complete opposite. This is why I'm so bearish on commercial real estate. I think by the end of this year, we will see a bloodbath in that market. And this is the thing that you need to be paying attention to. I, mo most of you are probably saying, I don't own any commercial real estate. Why the fuck does this matter to me? This is why. Because when that those debt instruments, which have been collateralized and sold off to pensions, et cetera, et cetera, when they aren't performing, well, then you have banking institutions and investment firms that don't have enough liquidity, that aren't delivering enough returns, that they can't then lend amongst one another. You have banking institutions that become insolvent. You have a cascading default that starts to begin in those periods. You have the overnight rate which is the rate by which banks lend to one another. Well, when there's questions about solvency or insolvency, those those rates skyrocket because no one wants to lend with one another. This is what this whole liquidity crunch crisis was about. This is why the uh, 
you know, FDIC got bolstered by the the feds, you know, this is, this is why, because there's, there's uncertainty and there's, uh, you know, caution that's starting to ripple across the broader economy. And when it ripples through finance, everything else falls from there because it's, that is really the precursor by which our debt-based economy functions. So if the commercial real estate market tanks, you will see defaults, you will see insolvency, you will see, um, you know, a freezing of lending vehicles amongst banks. And once you see that, you can see, you know, real insolvency issues in, in the broader economy. And then you should see unemployment. You should see uh, a bear market in stocks. It just kind of da, 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 da. goes from there. Got it. Okay, good. I hope that helps. If this is, uh, is this is valuable to you, good. Go ahead and hop over to libertylockdown.locals.com. I'm going to be doing an AMA at eight o'clock tonight where you guys get to come in on stream with me just shoot the shit. We can talk about whatever you want. We can talk about the debate with Destiny. We can talk about uh, whatever. But what's really cool is that I will be going to Austin, TakeHumanActionTour.com. And then as soon as I get back next week, guess who's on? Guess. Vivek Ramaswamy. Hell to the yeah. Uh, pumped for that. He actually inspired much of my you know, ESG research when, he, when I read Woke Inc. a year plus ago. Um, so I, I cannot wait for that. Obviously, he's running for president, uh, you know, head of the uh, Strive Capital Management. He's he's a money manager, tech guy. You know, come on. He's he's me. I love it. Can't wait to talk to him. I think that's going to be one of my best discussions ever. And I cannot wait. And uh, yeah. So make sure you don't miss the AMA tonight. LibertyLockdown.locals.com. While you're here, hit the like button. Hit the comment. Hit the subscribe. Send it to your friend. Red pull these motherfuckers. Let them know that there's someone still telling the truth, even on big tech. Don't tell them. They might get rid of me. But yeah, I'm still here for now. So uh, make sure you do that. And last but not least, if you want to pick up a shirt for Liberty Lockdown to become a walking billboard, go to toploster.com. I'll catch you guys soon. We're out. Peace. <music>